Okay, I'm back. Back a day late. Almost a day late, half a day late. It is Saturday morning here because I decided to prioritise, first of all, laying in the pool drinking beer yesterday and then going to dinner with Charlotte and and doing that instead. Now, had I been more organised, I would have done this earlier, laid in the pool and drank beer earlier. Uh, But I was doing a lot of work around the office, which... uh, which I want to sort of talk a little bit about at the moment. I shared some photos yesterday. Just all good day, everyone who's joining in. Oh, Cam is from Switzerland. Cool, I love Switzerland. I think that my f- fondest memory of Switzerland is going to CERN and seeing the Hadron Collider. That was super, super awesome. When was that? 2019. That was, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> World's largest machine, apparently. And it was kind of cool. Like This is particularly weird for me as an Aussie who lives in like one big continent country where you really just can't go anywhere without going on an aeroplane for a long time. But we're in CERN and we're driving around CERN and they'll be like, now we're in France, now we're in Switzerland, now we're in France. So, well, that's that's kind of cool. Like we can do that across state borders, but that's about it. Oh, who else is? Stuart, g'day, Stuart. Paul from sunny UK. I oh, know you're lying. At any time of year, let alone this time of year. It is sunny downstairs, though. It's nice here. You can't see because everything in this office is dark, which is what I'll get to in just a moment. Mikhail, same here in, in Denmark. Okay, but at least it's not wet inside the house. Uh, it has been raining here a lot lately, actually. It's, it's this time of year, so because we're in a, um, a sort of subtropical area of Australia, it... Uh, like we get to the often to the afternoon at this time of year and we'll just get like a massive storm but it's just been super 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 humid here yesterday i played tennis with uh with ari at, uh, at it was 7 a.m so it was early too and it was just i just felt drenched it was going between it, it was sitting on 95 percent humidity for quite a while and then it was down to about 90 <laughs> by the time we played so still pretty rough rolls in the netherlands uh wow Tom's country in South Wales. Very wet and cold at the moment. Yeah, I know there's a, a... Parts of Australia have had their wettest November ever already, and we're only like two weeks into it. So speaking of getting into it, getting into things here, sponsor this week is 1Password. Who need no introduction by this time. 1Password uh, still doing a lot of cool things. Secure Password Manager Digital Wallet keeps your... Keeps your... Keeps you safe online. Uh... A few things there, which I, I was chatting to them the other day, something I'd really, really like to see with 1Password is a more formal concept of digital survivorship. This is a really interesting concept. And if you haven't thought about this yourself yet, give it some thought. If you suddenly die, what happens to your digital things? Now, one of the, the things that got me thinking about this is not my imminent death, not to the best of my knowledge, but uh, GitHub has a, a great custodianship model where if you die, there is a process for someone else gaining access to your account. So you can define a custodian. And I forget the exact time frames, but it's something like uh, within two weeks of providing a death certificate, then it will fall over to that digital custodian or, or within three weeks of like pointing to an obituary somewhere. Now, I imagine there are other controls there to stop that being gamed. I'm not sure how they do the verification of the obituary or the or the death certificate. 
Uh, and I was listening to Risky Biz just yesterday as well, and they were talking about uh, that feature of Instagram being abused. And in fact, apparently even the head of Instagram's account got taken over by someone uh, faking the death of that person. So interesting concept, but like give it some thought. It is also something you can put in a legal will. So in my legal will, I have a, di- a, a, a digital custodian. <laughs> I won't say who they are. They know who they are, but they are someone that can take on my things if necessary. So interesting thing. I would like to see that more formalized into the password manager as well. So that was something I gave them a little, a little prod on. Uh, but other than that, there's a really good password manager. In fact, I'm interested now. If anyone knows if another password manager has a digital custodian survivorship model, let me know because I'd love to. I'd love to look at that a bit more closely. Ben is in France from a Gold Coast. <laughs> you're you're missing out here. It's really nice to say. My um, my plan as soon as we get a calm morning, and today is not a calm morning. It's blowing 17 knots or something already. Uh, is to have a, a bit of an epic jet ski ride across the ocean. Not like right across, but from uh, from here, uh, Ben, I'll understand this, from here down to Crumbin, uh, which would be very, very nice. I'll do a nice relive video. That. They're, they're the videos which plot your course on a GPS, and then they do like a flyover on Google Maps, and it's just, they all always come out looking awesome. Christian, I follow Per's advice. So I've written down my password manager in an average, uh, in an envelope, which we stored in a safe location. Yeah, so first of all, Per, <laughs> good. Good friend, this is not Per, he's talking about Per, per from Norway. Uh, and secondly, for something like 1Password, that there is a recovery sheet where when you first set 1Password up, you can print the recovery sheet. It has your secret key on it. You, It also has the address, so everyone has a unique address for their password manager. And you write down, like literally with a pen, there's a space for it, your master password. And then you put that in an envelope and you put it in a safe. Uh, now, of course, that could be your digital survivor model. You, you, you could say, yeah, uh, for example, I have done this. It is in another location in a very safe place, like literally locked up in a massive safe. Uh, someone else can gain access to that if they need to. So maybe that's the model, except how many people don't do that as well. So anyway, moving on, the office. So where do I start with this? As part of various efforts around the house. <laughs> the thing that we're focusing on at the moment is this office. Now, from the camera, those watching this, rather than just listening to it later on, you'll see that everything in the back is now dark. So one of the things that I've done is there is wallpaper on three of the walls. Uh, it's, it's not black, it's a dark gray, it's got a pattern and it. it's the same as in our master bedroom. As things get finalized, and we are getting close to that, I'll start actually posting some photos of everything else we've done, including all the IoT bits. But dark curtains and dark background, which is cool because everything in the back there now just sort of disappears and there's more focus on the subject matter <laughs> being me. So what's happening next? You can't quite see it, but behind that white shelf, there are brackets in the walls uh, and there's going to be like a floating shelf. So all the white stuff there is going to go. Most of the crap on those shelves is unnecessary crap. Books that I basically never read, they can go in a cupboard and get them out of the way. When there's this black floating shelf, then I can put just some things that I want on there that will then have the lights on the top shine on them and they'll sort of pop, which is good. That chair will go. I'll get something else that will be a lot darker and it will blend in. And what you see here with this white desk, this is just a return on the desk. This whole desk will go and there's a desk that will be made 
and I'm just finalizing the dimensions and again that will be a dark color too. Uh, and it's, it's mostly so that when I record all of that stuff disappears into the background and I can just put the lighting on me or other things that I want to have on the shelves there. Uh, and when I'm not recording and the curtains are open, everything just looks, it just feels very inviting now because this is where I spend a significant portion of my life and I want to make it comfortable. Now, good question for Burton here. Are you moving your mic to hide it? It's a paradox because it, on the one hand, like it would be kind of nice to get it out of the way. On the other hand, it works best <laughs> when it's like near your face. Um, what I tend to do is wear a black t-shirt, which I tend to do anyway, but then the mic kind of disappears a little bit into that. The sound quality seems to be pretty good where it is here. Uh, the, the main thing I'm considering at the moment is where do I mount it? And the, the desk, which I'm going to have made here, is actually going to be quite a bit wider than what I have at the moment. Uh, I think it's just over two meters. Now I am about 196 centimeters, so my wingspan <laughs> is about the same. So the desk in the opening will be about this far. So I'm thinking what I'll do is I'll just keep it mounted on the desk and it will be pretty much in the same position as it is at the moment, but the return on the desk will be further away. Uh, part of the reason I want to have such a big opening is that I want Charlotte and I to be able to sit here together comfortably on two comfortable chairs because there's a lot of stuff we do together, looking at the screens together or on calls and things together, particularly the, the initiatives we're doing together, such as this book. Ask me any questions about the book. Oh, book.troyhunt.com. So that's going, to be, uh, that's going to be more comfortable and more practical that way. Now, Rolls says, uh, will the Lego stay? Yeah, I, th I think the Lego should stay. I like the Lego. And I think I should finish building that Lego uh, Lamborghini Cyan, which I started about a year ago and just have not made time to complete. And there might be uh, there might be some other 3D prints on there. There might be some of the awards and things I've got on there. I just want to see like, what looks nice on the light there um, and doesn't sort of... I just realised those two lights didn't turn on. Doesn't sort of detract from... Uh, again, the, the subject matter. Now, this is part of my ongoing home automation dramas. So there are two lights on a bulkhead back there. Now, you can't see them directly, but you should be able to see the, uh, the light which they emit. Now, where are these? These are like Troy Office. I'm trying to remember their name in Home Assistant because for some reason, uh, or I call them like bulkhead Troy's office bulkhead bathroom side is that one now that is on but the brightness is way down there you go now it's on you can just see it reflecting on the shelf so part of my decision is how do I it's the bathroom side and then to this side which is on the window side uh no that's not the right one uh Troy's office bulkhead window oh no that's it's my unify okay why do I have a unify thing there anyway Turn that on. Oh, and there we see just in the background, the blue comes on there. So part of uh, part of what I've got to figure out is like what color light do I have coming out of there in order to light things up properly. Anyway, all good fun. That's what I'm working out. <laughs> Paul says no Lego equals unsubscribe. I think, okay, I'll keep the Lego. I don't, I don't want to lose any subscribers. Uh, get some lighting on the Lego. Yeah, possibly. But it, like, again, this is meant to be kind of background stuff as well. So this is what I'm trying, trying to work out. Uh, I, uh, Tom uses a rounded L-shaped desk, so this will be an L-shaped desk. It'll have what 
what is commonly referred to as a return, so the main desk here and then a thinner bit out the side, mostly because I, I tend to sit my laptop here and depending on like if I'm doing a workshop, I'll be doing the workshop and everything on the main screens here and then I'll roll over here and I'll do personal stuff on the laptop as I have a break or something. Uh, plus I have various amplifiers and things there. So the return actually works really well. Um, Remlin Geek's home assistant keeps getting wonky every few months. Um, mine has actually been pretty good. So mine's been pretty stable um, in every way I can actually think of at the moment. I spent some time over the last week converting some uh, Wi-Fi lights to uh, Zigbee lights. And the main reason for this is that... Scroll back a bit. A, a lot of... A lot of shit in this house has been breaking. <laughs> the main reason for that is that it was renovated about 15 years ago. It's a nice house. It feels modern, but 15 years seems to be the sweet spot of stuff just breaking. And it's everything from like dishwashers to fridges, to, you, know, you know, all the white good stuff through to the fact that we live on the water and it is tidal. So salt stuff just corrodes like crazy. So we had a whole bunch of uh, up down lights. I don't know if that's the correct term. I call them up-down lights. They look like a tube. One light goes up, one light goes down on the outside of the house. And a bunch of them were corroded, some of them to, to, the, to the extent that even like the, the light bulbs inside had started to disintegrate. So I wanted to replace those. And I, I went to Bunnings, which is a big hardware store here in Australia, and I bought a bunch of up-down lights. And they're only like 45 bucks each or something for the entire light fitting but there was, and, and most of them are like down the side of the house. You never really see them. It's like if you hang the washing out, you know, you need the light. But one of them is on the back on the canal and it faces across to neighbors and things where we spend a lot of time. So we can see it a lot. And I wanted something cool. So I got a Philips Hue up-down light in like a black, which goes nice against the white paint. Uh, and of course, Philips Hue IoT via Zigbee. And I put that in. It was awesome except I couldn't see it on the Zigbee network because there's loads and loads of concrete and a swimming pool between that and the next Zigbee device. But then I was like looking at the, the jetty that goes down into the canal where, where the boat is. And there were two, a total of three different light bulbs. So there's like two pedestal lamps just as you go down the jetty and then there's one on the jetty. And they're all Wi-Fi. And A, I had trouble getting Wi-Fi to them uh, just in terms of distance. I can talk about that too. Lots happened this week. But B, uh, I was like, well, if I if I was to change those to Zigbee, then I can actually bounce the signal around between existing existing Zigbee lights. Because when you put a device on a Zigbee network, it creates a, a mesh and it extends that Zigbee network if it is a mains powered device. So I got three more light globes. Now, incidentally, I was asking for suggestions on these and a couple of people said Sengled, uh, S-E-N-G-L-E-D which you can buy here in Australia from JB Hi-Fi. They're about $27, I think, $27, $28 for a Zigbee light bulb. So I bought three of those and I took them out of the pedestals on the jetty. Uh, put those in so now I can sort of bounce the, 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 the signal around. So I've got five Philips Hue Lily XL lights near the pool that shine on the wall and then they then bounce the signal down to the jetty, which then bounces the signal back to this other Philips Hue up-down light next to the boat shed. <laughs> Plus, I took three more devices off my network, which is good at the moment. All right, so that's what I've been doing with my network. We'll talk about the ubiquity bits in a moment, and then I'll get back to this office. It's going to be a long day. Burton says, is the new desk natural stained oak wood? No, it's not. So what I'm going to do 
and you'll see this in photos I share later on when I when I start actually publishing some stuff. But in the master bedroom, we've got some paneling on the wall, uh, which looks super super cool, and it is. It is, it's like a nanotechnology. And just as I was about to say that, I realized it's like talking about something being on the blockchain. I don't actually know what it really means, but it looks really cool. It's like a matte black. Uh, it's, it's sort of scratch proof. Uh, it looks like a really nice satin finish on it. It's just a super, super cool look. Uh, so that's what this shelf is going to be made out of. That's specs for that already in being ordered uh, and that's what the desk we made out of as well so i find that the the wood the wood look can be nice but um incidentally the reason we ended up doing that in the master bedroom is to get wood or even like wood paneling was just crazy crazy expensive like it was ridiculous some of the numbers so we end up going this other way and i actually think it looks better anyway so i'll do some close-ups of it later on you won't even be able to tell in a darkened room here if you're looking at the camera now Rambling Geeks Home Assistant slows down, turning devices on off. That would be unpleasant. Paul says, I saw some of the tweets earlier. Monitors look good on the wall. Uh, how are they for Legra? I'll come back to that. I'll finish one more thing on, on Ubiquity. So one of my dramas this week was there are two areas of the house that didn't have enough Wi-Fi. Now, one area was the back uh, where I used to have the Wi-Fi light bulbs. And, of course, now I've changed to the Zigbee. So... There was that area, uh, and one area was the front, which is where the Ubiquiti uh, G3 doorbell is. Now, the problem with the doorbell is the doorbell is Wi-Fi only, which is fine because I can't run Ethernet to there without having conduit over tiles, and it would just be messy. But the other problem is, is that the doorbell is on the outside of the house, which is good because then people can ring it. But but because it's on the outside, there is a very solid concrete wall between the doorbell and the inside of the house, which is where all the access points are. So trying to get solid signal from the house to the doorbell has been flaky. Now, what that means is the doorbell has often dropped off the network altogether. This is profoundly frustrating when the doorbell is not on the network and someone comes and rings the doorbell and you don't hear it. Now, when the doorbell isn't on the network, it actually says, you know, like offline. Um, and I would kind of like people to kind of see that and maybe, I don't know, like actually bang on the door or something. But regardless, it's also a constantly recording camera. I've actually just opened up the RTSP streams on Home Assistant and it is still connected, which is good. Uh, I wanted to have more reliability. So I wanted to get more Wi-Fi both sides. So I got the Sparkies round. And we ran more Ethernet up through this void in the middle of the house, to the top, to the roof, and then down to the sides. Uh, and I put uh, uh, one of the AC, APAC, oh, I forget, forget what the model is, one of the great big flat panel mesh ones that I wrote a blog post about years ago about extending Wi-Fi to my jetty uh, and, and to, my, <laughs> to my jet ski. So anyway, that's going back on the other side of the house here. And then I've ended up putting uh, one of the Flex HDs on the other side of the house, which is now getting signal down to the front. I don't know this completely solved my problem, but I do have more Wi-Fi in the area. And I, the reason I think it's not completely solved my problem is it's still got concrete to go through to the doorbell. But as part of that process, I had some really, really flaky problems where the two G4 Pro Ubiquiti cameras on either side, which are these awesome 4K cameras, they uh, 
One of them was fine, but they were originally running back all the way to a 16-port switch, which is in my server rack, which does PoE to everything. Now, we ended up putting an 8-port switch in between so that we could split out and go to more uh, um, two access points, two cameras. And somewhere during that process, one of the cameras no longer wants to work unless there's a PoE injector in there. Now, I'm not even going to go any deeper down this rabbit hole because I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know exactly why. And I've had my, my ubiquity person trying to, to solve this. Uh, I have been speaking to other people trying to solve this. I don't know why. It's just driven me absolutely freaking nuts. But now it's got an injector and it seems to be stable. So fun times just to make your bloody doorbell work. All right, so let me talk about what I did here with the monitors. And this will answer Paul's question as well. As part of this initiative, I, I really wanted to get more stuff off the desk. Now, it was about June last year, let's call it about 18 months ago, that I revamped the home office just before end of financial year because in Australia uh, and being independent and using all of this stuff to make money, it's all paid with pre-tax dollars, which is good, which makes it like half as much as if I was to go out and buy it with my own cash and not write it off. So I went and... Uh, did all the upgrades with the monitors everyone's seen before. Got Ergotron monitor mounts, which bolted onto the desk. They were good. Uh, of course, I got the camera which you look at now, which is a great camera, great lens. That was bolted onto the desk as well with an Elgato uh, camera mount. Now, all of this was a good way of getting up and running, but there are several problems with this. One problem is, I'll start with the camera. Every time I bumped the desk, the camera would wobble. So I wanted to mount it to the wall. So watch what happens when I bump the desk now camera doesn't move right now it's not that I sit here like banging the desk but I'd be like leaning on it like this and it's I don't care so much when I'm talking to you guys <laughs> I don't care about you but when I'm like recording things which are used for professional purposes that doesn't look so professional so I wanted to do that the other thing I wanted to do is that as as cool as this massive big monitor here is by the time I put it on the Ergotron arm as well it was sitting quite a way out from the wall which hasn't been a problem because I've got this desk here, which is way too wide for a normal desk. Going to the new one, I wanted to get a desk which was thinner. By mounting the monitor on the wall, it's actually 13 centimeters further away from me now than what it was yesterday. I can have a desk which is more like a normal desk size without being any closer to the screen. But it's interesting, like looking at the screen now, and everything's still the same size. I don't feel like it's too far away either. But anyway, I can decide. I can decide how wide I want to make the desk. It also just makes everything a lot cleaner. Like just getting stuff up, getting stuff up off the desk is cool. And I'm sort of looking around at what's left here and going, I wonder if I can take anything else off there. I just like a really, really clean office. I'm a bit fastidious that way. Just come in here and it feels nice. So it's, it's, uh, it's done that. And of course, by putting the, all the monitor things on the wall as well, it's meant that there's less movement with those because every time I'm leaning on the desk or something, there is no movement on the monitors. And someone asked me on Twitter just before, they're like, has this really achieved anything? And they're the main reasons. Now, the, the, the monitor, the big one just here, the bracket, and this is on a, a tweet thread which I added to uh, yesterday, so you'll see it there if you go back through a tweet. Uh, the bracket for the big monitor is super, super thin. It's probably about probably about 30 mil. Uh, and it is literally just the big monitor hangs on a bracket on the wall. There is no adjustment whatsoever, which I'm actually really happy with because it means once we put that on the wall, 
it does not move. It will not move, short of like an earthquake, which I, as far as I know, we've never had here. It's fine. And then the two on the sides, they're on new Ergotron arms, which are wall-mounted. They're very solid. They're pretty much the same as what I had before. They're just wall-mounted. But now, uh, of course, being on the wall and not on the desk, they shouldn't move at all. So everything will stay more lined up. And I shouldn't come back here and sit down and go, why is there like a 5 mil gap between those two? That won't happen anymore. So that's why I've done that. Now, Paul's question here. Saw some tweets earlier. Monitors look good on the wall. How is the leg room? I cut my desk down recently after getting three arms uh, standard with screens and now close to the wall. So, the, I mean, the leg room really hasn't changed for me, but what I'll do with this new desk, uh, again, it will be a little bit closer to the wall. And even with my significant height, if I stretch my legs out all the way, I can't touch the wall at the moment. Just touch the wall. So, yeah, uh, the new desk, I think, is going to be about five centimetres narrower than this one. So I'll be a little bit close, but still hips room. All right. So, Paul, that has solved my problem. Um, Janice, Janice has just started to use some Sonoff devices for Home Assistant, both ZigBee and Wi-Fi. Nicely integrated in front of lights. Uh, you can't get smart bulbs for as well. Hmm. Mind you, I've got lots of lights I don't want smart bulbs for, uh, mostly because I want nice lights. And I was having this discussion yesterday uh, with someone who may join later, and <laughs> they can see if they want to be named. But um, there are there seems to be like this intersection between IoT things and aesthetic things. Uh, now, what I mean by this, let, let's take uh, switches for the wall. You can go and buy switches that are dumb switches. All they do is close circuits. Uh, but they are physical switches on the wall. They are things that you press. They are things that you look at. They have a, a kinetic capability, like they move. Uh, now, you, you can also buy ones that are smart switches. So they open and close circuits and all the rest of it, but they connect to the Wi-Fi and they can raise events and everything else. But they're still things that you click on and then can move and that you have to look at. And I, I have a bit of a problem with combining the two, mostly because you're combining a technical functionality, a digital functionality, with a physical kinetic thing. And the reason I have an issue with that is that I would, I like the abstraction layer. So I like the idea of being able to pick what is the visually, aesthetically perfect thing for my house, the thing that I want to press and interact with, and then what do I want it to do digitally? And by having the shellies behind the switches, you get that ability. If I went and got uh, a Sonoff or a, oh, what's the name I'm thinking of now? There's a whole bunch of other ones. I think even Philips Hue's got physical switches as well. You're sort of buying something that is going to look and feel and interact a certain way in order to achieve a digital outcome. And I just kind of feel that that's a little bit around the wrong way. You also sort of get to the point where it's like, well, what if I want to make all the switches in the house the same, but I don't necessarily want them all to be digital. Uh, what if I get to the point later on where I want to have a different aesthetic, but I don't want to throw out all the digital things. So I, I just, I feel like it works better having that, that abstraction. Or what if there are better Shelleys that come along one day and they're, I mean, Shelleys are pretty simple anyway, but there's just something fundamentally better about these other ones and I want to change them all. So, well, I, I can do that without changing the look of everything. So I think the abstraction there is good. Now, I got on that topic because of the lights. Um, you know, the smart lights that are here, you don't have a lot of choice with smart lights, uh, not compared to dumb lights. 
So if you walk into a lighting shop, if you're in Australia, you're going to Beacon or something like that, and look at all of the options that you have for lights, a very, very small percentage of them uh, are smart. Now, of course, you can do things like get uh, a traditional chandelier and then put smart bulbs in there. So that's part of the way there. But frankly, you kind of only really need smart bulbs if you want to do things like change colors. So that the middle ground that I've found here is my office. I don't mind mucking around with it, and obviously I want colors and things like that. But in our master bedroom, we've got really nice, aesthetically nice down lights that sit in the ceiling. Uh, and they've got, well, they're LED, so they don't have external bulbs. They're all like built into the unit itself. There's, there's a, a driver which then drives the LEDs, and they sit in a very nice surround. Uh, they're dimmable, so then I've got Shelly dimmers just behind the light switches. So I get things that look great, but I can still control digitally. And that seems to be the sweet spot at the moment, for me anyway. Stefan says, I've been out of touch for a while. Sorry if this was discussed before. <laughs> Are there any recommended online stores for IoT equipment in Australia? So the one that I've been using a lot, and I highly recommend this guy, is Oz Smart Things. And I'm just trying to get the URL. It's Oz with an OZ, ozsmartthings.com.au. It's a guy called Callum that runs this. And the pricing is good. They've got a lot of the good stuff that I like using, including all of the different various Shellys. Uh, the shipping is really, really fast. Every time I've had a problem and I've chatted to this guy, he's been super, super awesome. He sent me a bunch of other things, not, not because I'm me, but because I've ordered so much stuff from them. Uh, he's just been really, really good. So big shout out to Oz Smart Things. Uh, go there. They've been good. Ali's talking about first world problems. Look, I've just mentioned so many things. <laughs> that first world problem, I don't even remember which one it was. Tom says, what sound noise absorbing material are you going to use on the main wall? Uh, the sample of it is downstairs, but I posted a tweet yesterday. It's from a company run by some friends of ours um, just around the corner from us. And I'm trying to find the name of it. But basically, it's about it's going to be about 15 mil thick. It's um, the way mine's going to be is it'll be like uh, there'll be a, a bottom layer as part of that total 15 mil thickness, which will be a dark color. And then there's a gray color on top of it. And there's some key lines through it. So you can see the dark color come through the light color. Um, oh, man, I'm going to share it. You know, when I finish this office properly, I'll do another like ultimate home office post and I will put all the details in there. It starts with an A. I can't remember the exact details. But it looks super, super cool, and they do a lot of office spaces as well. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be awesome. It's going to be this whole front wall and then some bits around the door and also the ceiling. So it's going to look like this whole thing just comes like that, and there's a pattern that goes across the whole thing. So it's going to look really, really cool. I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Oh. I do need to move on to some stuff. Burton's asking, are the ergonomics better? Um, I, are the ergonomics... For the most part, they're going to be very similar other than stuff not moving around in terms of monitors and stuff having like little bumps and that kind of stuff. It's going to be pretty much the same. Ali loves his Ergotron stuff. Rambling Geek says, mount your speakers. I, I have thought about that. <laughs> Trust me, I've thought about it. But I don't really want to mount them high. Uh, and also, they're sitting very far back now, close to the wall, such that I can barely see the cables going down the back behind the desk. And they're dark. And the desk is going to be dark, so they're going to kind of disappear. So I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave them on the desk. Stuart's talking about clean desk policy. Good idea. What else have we got in here before I move on? Stefan, uh, my landlord doesn't allow me to even put a nail in 
in my wall. <laughs> Let's try to glue two 27-inch displays on the wall. So uh, fortunately, I am my landlord, uh, and I get to decide what I want to put on the wall. Uh, but, and there's another tangent we won't go down here, up until only a few years ago, I, I never lived in a house I owned. So, And I have written a blog post. It was New Year's Eve in 2018 about financial tips explaining uh, why I did that, and it worked really, really well. So other story, but you can go and read that if you're interested in Neil says, coffee looks good. The coffee is fantastic. Thank you very much. What else is in here? PimDocs likes hue switches, especially for separate buttons and dim lights. I think functionally they're great. I stand by my other (laughs) other comments on that, though. Um, Tom, you mentioned your noisy UPS. Why not move it out of the room and run a UPS power outlet into the office? So... First of all, I, I'm going to partly tackle my noisy UPS issue by replacing the fans. I have seen a blog post about using Noctura fans that apparently makes a big difference. I also need to be clear about what fan noise is coming from the UPS versus what fan noise is coming from the PC. Also, that UPS, I've got about six different devices plugged into because it's basically enough stuff such that if I lose power that I can cleanly finish what I'm doing which means finish talking to the camera recording on the microphone whatever else and I get about 10 minutes powering the things that are, are powered uh, so I if I put it outside the room I've still got to then run like you know six different sockets back into the room to plug back into the UPS so it's it's non-trivial uh, and I, I am part of the reason I'm holding off on ordering the desk for now is I am thinking about is there anything I can do noise proofing wise to put the CPU and the UPS in it whilst not completely screwing up all my airflow as well. Um, Steve's happy I've said ceiling instead of roof. I was really conscious when I said it. For some reason, I've often said roof when I meant ceiling. I don't look, it's the stuff above me. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Pimdox doesn't use the Hue app. I program all the Hue stuff by the Hue Essentials app. I don't use the Hue app either. I join everything to the Conbi in my Home Assistant instance. So I have not used the Hue app for a very, very long time. Um, I'm going to move on. Because we do have other things. <laughs> I had a. I wrote this when I was ranting yesterday morning. WTF is wrong with tradies. So tradies are tradespeople. Um, we've had so much stuff done around the house here, and one of my constant frustrations has been when a painter, a plasterer, a tiler, a builder says uh, they're going to come around and do some work. Well, first of all, we engage them to do some work. And then they go, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be around somewhere between uh, 9 a.m. and midday. And like, well, well, what is it? <laughs> Like I, I have a life, I have meetings and commitments and things like this. And you just get these really, really vague times. And then sometimes they just don't turn up at all, which is a common thing with, with tradies. Yesterday, they turned up half an hour early to rip this wall apart just as I was about to do a tech check for, uh, for, for a company I'm doing a talk for. So it's like, no, that's not going to happen. Like I've, I'm going to prioritize the work. That's what pays for the unreliable tradies. And just... Uh, I'm not going to say. I'm going to say something I regret. I won't say that. <laughs> I, I, uh, I can see why some people are in their lot of life. <laughs> Put it that way. But every, I just keep thinking, like, what if I ran my 
business for want of a better term, the cyber things I do in that fashion. And it's like, there's a meeting schedule. And it's like, oh, I might turn up. I'll see. I might be busy with something else. The exception every single time has been the electricians. There seems to be something about electricians that are fundamentally different to all the other trades, maybe because it's a much more heavily regulated industry because you might die if you stuff it up. <laughs> but WTF is wrong with tradies, just constant pain. A uh, quick update on Rode as well. So I spoke last week about Rode and about that Rode mic, which is, I don't know, I threw it away somewhere, which was just terrible. We actually narrowed it down to only being terrible on my iPhone 13 Pro Max. On Charlotte's iPhone 13 Pro Max, it was fine. Rode has given me good support with this. We got to the point where they've said, we're just going to send you another one. Keep this one. We're going to send you another one. So kudos to them. And this is only a mic that's like 100 bucks. Like it's not expensive. So kudos to them for actually sending that out. I am speaking on a Rode mic. In fact, the reason I wanted to go and get another Rode mic because I'm so happy with this one. And I do have the little lapel-based uh, Rode mic that is wireless as well. I forget the model number. And I think I should actually do one of these videos on that sometime soon so I can walk around the house and show you some of the stuff I've done. So I'll let you know how that goes. But they've, they've at least handled it well after the thing was uh, super, super flaky. Look at the comments as I take a quick sip of coffee. Oh. Seven just bought a couple of Akira relay switches, going to try them out next week. So Akira, uh, Akira also makes things like my little motion sensors and so on around here. I've been very happy with the Akira stuff from a sort of price point position. They've been very, very good for that. Um, no batteries, no wiring. Oh, no, sorry, I'm, I'm reading something else. I highlighted something else. Uh, all right, Stefan, where were we up to? Um, Max, is any recommendation on smoke CO detectors that are HA compatible and legal in Queensland? I ended up getting uh, Google Nest units. Now, what is the right name for them? Now, as I'm looking this up, I'll explain the, the, the challenge here. It's going to be a long update. Um, Google Nest smoke detector. Australia has been passing various legislation that requires... Uh, changes to smoke alarms at different times depending on the nature of the dwelling depending on the state so these are state-based laws so we have had legislation and this is i'm, I'm speaking as both a, someone who lives in a house <laughs> like all of us but also someone with investment properties that are rented by other people and as a landlord you have to be compliant um, now what we have been required to do is originally you had to have, I think it was like smoke detectors in every like major living area or something like this. And then we've had legislation come in which says you need to have them within every bedroom and then within hallways and then rooms larger than a certain amount. And they need to be interconnected so that if there is a fire downstairs and you've got smoke in the kitchen or something like that, in fact, you don't need to have it in the kitchen, partly because I imagine false positives. Uh, but let's say the hallway near the kitchen. So if that one goes off and you're upstairs asleep in your bedroom, the one in your bedroom should also go off so that you know to get the hell out of the house, which actually seems to be quite sensible. Plus, they also need to now be, I believe they need to be photovoltaic as well, uh, which means that not only do they need to be able to smell smoke, layman's terms here, smell smoke, they also need to be able to see smoke. So I end up getting Google Nest Protect is the right word here. Uh, and there are a couple of reasons for this. So I, I just find that it feels like for the most part, smoke alarms haven't really, 
made a lot of progress over the years. Like a lot of the ones you go and buy, if you go to like, go online, search for smoke detectors or something like this and installers, you find stuff that, I don't know, it's, 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 it just feels like it hasn't kept up with the times. The Google Nest stuff is kind of cool. There's an app for it. You can get alerts when you're out of the house because it's all IP based. They do connect to your network. They look kind of cool. I have one on my ceiling up here, on my roof up here. Uh, it looks fine. They self-test pretty regular. I can pull the app up. I can see when they last self-tested. They do CO2 sensing as well, which is kind of cool. Max's question. So HA compatible. I believe there's an integration to HA on this. I can't remember why I ended up not doing it. I think it's just the integration wasn't particularly good. But the other bit here about legal in Queensland. Now, I actually had quite a bit of trouble finding answers to this. What I can say is I'm looking at it for sale on Officeworks at the moment, uh, $168 on Officeworks. And it does say it is certified to Australian standards, AS 3786, column 2014. And as best I could tell, it met all the criteria. And then I also got to the point where it's like, all right, for just from a purely rational sense, am I going to trust a smoke alarm built by Google? Like, all right, people have their own views of Google. However, in terms of a large organization which is able to invest as required to build things the right way, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident that the Google one will be able to detect the smoke. Now, uh, we have had one occasion I can think of where this has actually gone off. Uh, and it's a bit of a sort of story. Someone who was staying with us who we think ended up vaping in the spare bedroom after a very, very big night out where none of us were particularly paying a lot of attention to the details. But stuff went off everywhere. We could see via the app that this was the room that it went off in. This is the room that triggered it. Um, and we believe that that was not a false positive and it was legitimate. And I haven't had any false positives since. Certainly nothing has caught fire and the alarms haven't gone off. So very, very vague practical experience there, but so far that's actually been really good. So I'm happy with the Google Nest. You can get them either battery powered or wired to mains. Now there were only, I think two or three smoke alarms in this house up until I put these ones in earlier this year and they were hardwired. So I bought hardwired units for that, and then I bought battery-powered units for everywhere else. And of course, you'll get alerted once the battery starts running out, but it was just too hard to run cable. So this one, for example, there was never a smoke alarm in this room. Uh, there is now, it's battery-powered, it joins up to everything else. All right, what else we got in here? Ramblin' Geeks says, get a soundbar. I think I'm, I'm very, very happy with my genelic speakers. Uh, Michael. Decon ZHA or Zigbee to MQTT, and would you change if you could? So I'm using Decons. The main thing I don't like about it is that every now and then it seems to forget the names of some devices, and I have to go back in and constantly rename them. I don't know why it does that. It's shit. A lot of people have reported that. I have considered rolling over to ZHA. It's just not shit enough to justify the effort, and as I go deeper and deeper into Decons, <laughs> it would be even more hard work to do so. Um, so whenever, and to, to be clear, when it forgets names, everything still works exactly the way it should. And it doesn't forget names in home assistant. So the home assistant entity names are still correct. It's just that I go into like VNC to look at my network map. And now something is like motion sensor one where it should be, you know, Ari's room motion or something like that. Stuart is also lamenting tradies. 
Burton, how do you manage the tradespeople and your device devices security? Um, it, it when you invite tradies into your house, particularly when they're there for long periods of time, as they were earlier this year, uh, and you're out because you have a life, uh, and you're entrusting the house to to tradespeople. Well, okay, the, the easy answer is I lock all my devices. PCs are obviously locked. They auto-lock very quickly. If I walk out of the room, I Windows L and lock it. I have my iPhone and iPad with me, but they've, they're they all locked as well. Uh, a tradie, a very sophisticated tradie, could go and plug a USB stick into, into a network port somewhere. I mean, they could do all sorts of stuff. Uh, they could also steal my wallet or, or other things like that. So you, you do put trust in people that you invite into your house. But it's a little bit of like trust but verify thing. So I lock all my digital things down to the fullest extent that is reasonably possible. Uh, and then as far as I know, it's all been okay. I don't know, maybe they've got a secret camera in here watching me now. But yeah, like you, you hear stories where someone comes in and secretes a, I think it's going to say secretes a camera in your bathroom. I don't think anyone wants to watch me in my bathroom. Uh, but who knows? I think it's okay. That got weird quick. Stephen says, good electricians are hard to find. If you find a good one, hang on to them. I've got a great electrician, so which is which is good because I've made a lot of work for him with all this IoT stuff. And in Australia, you can't do anything more than pretty much change a light bulb without being a licensed electrician. So I I cannot legally put Shelleys in anywhere. Um, so every time I put a new Shelly or anything like that in, I wait until I have a bunch and then I get the Sparky, Sparky's electrician back out. Uh, and he does that as well as running all the Cat5 up to the new points and everything, as well as changing all the lights, as well as when we rebuilt the bathroom, yeah, doing all the lighting and heating and everything in there. So, yes, good sparkies are hard. In fact, any good tradie, I think, is hard to find. If you find a good one, <laughs> hold on to them. Everyone else figured out. I was talking about Google Nest Protect. Uh, Stuart's struggling to get them through HA. I, I think I had I struggled as well, and then I was like, what's the point? I'm going to get to Act Mobile. Ali is asking about this. Um, what else is in the notes here? Stefan's got six of them, worked very well. Gone off once and worked as advertised, which is great. Uh, and Paul said also, big plus plus, this is, there is a voice warning before the siren and when the wife burns the toast. Uh, so the voice warning is pretty cool. It's like, hey, there's going to be a test soon and test, I think, like once a month. So you get an audible warning and it's a, pretty benign test it's like yeah it's it's loud but it's very very short and then each one per or each one individually goes off sequentially which is kind of cool because you just hear all these little chirps around the house and it's like yep everything's fine and of course it does it at a reasonable time of the day as well because it's smart enough to know what is an unreasonable time of the day um steve says is it co2 or co it should be co does it say co2 um i don't know google it i forget I was never very good at chemistry. <laughs> it worked out fine anyway. Oh. Max says, the fixed power option seems to be the catch. Well, just remember, you, you can have fixed power, like mains power or battery power. And of course, even with mains power, there's a battery backup. Uh, but most of them in our house now are just running batteries. Stuart says, Nest integration takes heaps of steps to set up also you need public access to your ha i have thermostat and cams too i'm just not sure that i get a lot of value from putting them in ha um and as much as i am going all in on the iot stuff i, I feel that i don't feel that i have to connect everything just because so 
Rambling Geek, how are the curtains? Oh, the curtains themselves. Are, uh, but here's a, I'm going to include the curtain lady as being a tradie as well. But even getting them back out to do things like the, let's say the one just here behind my, my chair. The curtain itself, I'm very, very happy with. But what needs to happen is I literally need it like somehow stuck to the wall because at the moment the chair is pushed back against the curtain to stop slivers of light coming in. In fact, you can just see a sliver of light on that side of it on the uh, on the shelf side of it so it's little things like that or the one here is not properly around the motor and i can see cables and stuff hanging out uh, and then the automation i've already complained about that as it's it's bearable but even now it's like the one in our master one of them is really really long it's probably oh, six seven meters long uh and yesterday like I press the remote control to open it and it, it opens about a meter and then it closes again. So it's something that I want to not be my problem and the curtain lady to fix it. Okay. Um, oh, thief master reminds me of something that really pisses me off in one password, not being able to enter the master password without it being masked. It's a long one. I can remember, but typos happen. Uh, yep. Yep, fair, fair comment. I imagine that's a conscious design decision. Um, it doesn't solve it every time, but I do find that biometrics makes my life a lot easier. The fingerprint reader there, the face ID on my eye things. Let me move on. I've been 3D printing some stuff. Now, I shared a picture of this the other day. So the one I'm holding here for people... Oh, shit, I just broke a bit off that. It doesn't matter. This is a uh, This is just a sample print. I'm holding a tile here that is about 15 centimeters squared. And this is one part of a map of Oslo. So what we're doing with our 3D printing space, which sits between the kids' rooms, as part of our ongoing house initiatives, trying to clean that up, make it look neat, get some nice chemistry and stuff in there. But I want to put some stuff on the wall. Like I wanted to put something on the wall related to 3D printing, but had some significance to us. So there's a, a guy with an Etsy page who builds uh, STLs out of publicly available mapping data that has things like the buildings and cities. Now, he didn't have Oslo already, so this was like a commissioned work. But it was about $80 Australian. So for $80 Australian, he's created an STL, which he's uh, sliced down into 16 tiles. So it'll be a 4 by 4 map. 15 centimeter square tile. So we're going to have a 60 centimeter by 60 centimeter three-dimensional map that I'll print on the wall. And it looks really, really cool. And I decided to start by doing a test print of the tile, which covers the Oslo spectrum, which is where NDC is. Stefan's here. He knows that. Uh, and the Radisson Blue, which is next to it, which is the hotel that many of us have stayed in many times before. And it's just kind of cool to see it manifest itself in 3d and go i remember like being there and you know riding the scooters along the the canal there i was showing uh, ari the, the january last year and january the year before he was there with me and we we're um you know riding our e-scooters <laughs> around here and it's really really cool to see this and of course this particular map is significant to me because for, for me like a lot of my career as it is today began with ndc oslo in 2014 here uh, and of course, without knowing it at the time, meeting the person who I'd like to marry. <laughs> so that was, that was something neither of us saw coming back then in 2014. But what I'm going to be doing is just doing a whole bunch of sample prints with this because I want to find just the right filament for this. I actually want to do a matte white. This is a Prusa, uh, Prusa Mint, which is their own filament 
polar white. It's a little, Charlotte called it a dirty white <laughs> before. It's a little bit like that. It's not like a, a stark white. So I'm going to have a much brighter white. It's a matte. Uh, I've just ordered three different matte white filaments, and I'm going to do a test print of each and see not only which color looks best, but which one I feel has the nicest quality. Before I go and print 16 of these, and when I bought them off the guy, he also gave me the Sydney map too. So I thought I might do one of Oslo and one of Sydney, and then I've got yeah, Sydney somewhere I did live for 15 years. So <laughs> that's kind of significant too. Uh, and I'll have one of both. Now what I've done as well, when I've sliced it, you can just see there's a river running through there. So I've sliced it with a color change, uh, which is right at the point where that river goes through. So there'll, there'll be like a really easily observable difference between the water and the land. Now for, for Oslo, which is on a harbour, that would be great. And for Sydney, which is also on a harbour, that would be great. And in my tweet threads of recent, I've shared some pictures of, of uh, some of the, the other examples. In fact, I think I linked to the Etsy page. Uh, and the guy's done things like um, Manhattan, where you can really, really clearly see, uh, you can see the Hudson River and what it looks like when you go over to Brooklyn. And it, it just looks super, super cool with like a black background for the, for the, for the water and a stark white background in the front. And then the only other thing I've got to decide is which filament do I want to do the black. But I think what I'm going to do is I'll find the right matte white filament, because that's the thing that's obviously most prominent, and then I'll get an equivalent black one of that. Uh, and I'll get a few spools of each and, uh, and then start printing maps. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's going to look really, really cool when it's up there on the wall. And particularly once we get a nice cabinet to put all of the messy looking filament rolls and everything behind closed doors it's going to be a real showpiece in the house okay um, paul says check the corner with a magnet might be some steel strips you could attach uh some mags to the curtains curtain ladies problem <laughs> so this is part of my issue with this i take on too much and when it comes to like tradies i just want to i just want to go so the curtain people, you are the curtain experts. Do the curtains, make them work, send me the bill. Like that's, that's it. That's start to finish. I do not want to be mucking around with magnets when it should be the curtain lady who does the magnets. Fair comment. It's just her responsibility. Shabody, Shabody. I was lazy and went with a home pattern Nanoleaf Essentials bulb. Nanoleaf bulbs are way cheaper. I didn't need to run another Ethernet cable through the house. I've not seen nanoleaf bulbs. The kids have got nanoleaf panels on the wall, but I've not seen the bulbs. Interesting. Noel Merrigan. <laughs> G'day, Noel. Oslo, mate. So I remember sitting with Niall in the bottom here, drinking whiskey, <laughs> pouring my heart out in 2014 about how miserable I was with my job. Fixed that up, didn't we, mate? That's also in the book. <laughs> Read the book. Did I mention you're in the book, Niall? You're in the book. Ask me <laughs> more maybe offline later on. We should talk anyway. Uh, Stefan says, Oslo, the Bane of Scots. Uh, there is a location somewhere along here where Scott did try, this is Scott Helm, did try to uh, jump an e-bike off a ledge. Uh, something had given, something he had consumed had given him more confidence than what his ability actually afforded him, and it did not end well. <laughs> anyway, that was fun. Uh, Mitch says, got a link to the seller. Yes, it's in my tweet stream. If you go to my uh, recent media tweets, you'll see uh, you'll see this image and you'll also see a link to the seller on Etsy. Incidentally, the seller on, on Etsy, we've been having some, some chats uh, 
and is a super, super nice guy. Just really, really nice, really helpful. If you have a read of the comments, everyone says he's been great. I found out about him from the Prusa owners group on, uh, there's a Facebook group, and I saw other people printing these, and was just like, wow. So highly, highly recommended. And I think for a pre-existing map, it's about 28 bucks or something like that. It's super, super cheap. Bert, now you're going to print one with a family photo. I had been considering doing like uh, JPEG to STL and doing some family photos. <sighs> the, the thing is like we got a lot of nice photos up already that are nice photos and the, the there is a bunch of novelty factor to 3D printing a photo, but let's be honest, they don't look particularly great. Like they're not high fidelity or anything. So I think this is actually going to be a much nicer thing to have up on the wall. But I was along with your thinking and then I saw this and I went, no, nah, this is actually better. So I'm going to do that. Um, Steph remembers Crowbar. Uh, there will be, Crowbar will be on one of these these maps. Crowbar is where, where I remember some of the things we did at Crowbar. <laughs> Crowbar was really good. <laughs> Moving on. Act Mobile Breach. Someone did ask about Act Mobile Breach. So this is a bit of a weird one. Uh, Act Mobile is a company that runs a bunch of VPNs. They run uh, free VPN and they run Dash VPN. Now, what makes a breach impacting a VPN provider particularly interesting is that many VPN providers sell their VPNs on the premise of having no logs and not being able to trace your browsing behavior, or in many cases, even your presence on the platform back to you. Now, keeping in mind the moral neutrality of encryption, maybe you're doing good things, maybe you're doing bad things, who knows? But the whole point is privacy. So to have news of a VPN provider having a data breach is a significant thing. So here's, uh, here's how this has gone down. I'm just making sure I get my, f my facts right for reasons that will become apparent in a moment. So Bob Dychenko, who works for Comparatech. Now, now Bob is a very well-known character in, in data breach land. He, he is uh, well and truly into that spectrum of, of a good guy. Someone that I've chatted to many, many, many times uh, around various data breaches, many of the things in Have I Been Pwned have been identified by Bob. So I trust Bob, uh, and he does a lot of good research, uh, and he does a lot of good attribution. So Bob finds this exposed data. Now, I'm just trying to make sure I get my facts right again for reasons that will become apparent in just a moment. Uh, where was the Act Mobile here? Because I've linked to two different things. He's done the attribution, and there's a whole bunch of sort of IP addresses and other things that sort of tie back to uh, Act Mobile. And he's gotten in touch with them. And the, the long story short is, uh, I'm just reading from his tweet timeline here. So this is October 13. So this is a month ago today. Since Friday, I've been trying to get in touch with, for those of you who think it's October, or rather November 12 today, that's because you're living in the past, I'm living in the future. Since Friday, I've been trying to get in touch with someone from Act Mobile to responsibly alert that their VPN user base, 45 million plus records, info, email passwords, IPs, devices, etc., is exposed to the public, but no luck, but uh, included, but not limited to dash VPN, freevpn.org. Anyone. This is Bob's version of, does anyone have a security contact at? So he's been trying to get in touch with people. Now, in his write-up here, there's a bit where after he's tried to get in touch with them, the database has been secured, which maybe it's a coincidence, <laughs> but it is an interesting correlation. So this was, this was the 13th of October he sent this. Now, 
October 31. He says, in a pre-final Halloweenish twist of Dash VPN, FreeVPN data, basically what he's done is he's been in touch with their support and support has sent this message. Hello, thank you for contacting support. This is Dash Support, Act Mobile Inc. We do not maintain databases, so whatever is referenced is false. Not unusual. Furthermore, if you write about us, we will take action. <laughs> this is why I'm being cautious. Now, maybe the action is putting a password on the database, uh, but that doesn't really sound that way, does it? It sounds very litigious. And uh, I think we're all a bit cautious about organizations that want to get very litigious because of it does feel a little bit like shoot first and ask questions later sometimes. So this is why I've just been very, very cautious in explaining this. Now, I have been trying to verify this. I've found, I think it was about 1.6 million, have I been pwned subscribed? No, 1.6 million uh, email addresses rather in this data. And the, the problem is, is that there was nothing that I could use to directly correlate it back to ACT. There's a whole bunch of circumstantial evidence in there. There's a lot of references to ACT Mobile, a lot of references to Dash and uh, FreeVPN. It, it looks, looks very, very much like an ACT Mobile data breach, but clearly they're not acknowledging it. Uh, I I went and found a bunch of Have I Been Pwned subscribers in there, contacted them. I had multiple people come back and say, yes, I've used this service in the past. So to me, that's very, very, very likely. I ended up flagging it as unverified because although I have a very high degree of confidence, it's not at the same level as when I can just pick up email addresses, chuck them into password reset, and they all come back and say there's a breach, or when the organization themselves acknowledge that there's a breach. So the fact that I couldn't get enough independent verification, and also they're denying it, I think they're wrong based on the evidence, but certainly been done before. That's why I flagged it as unverified. So I'm just reporting what other people have reported. Uh, if it is incorrect, I'd love to see an explanation as to why, but regardless, there's a lot of data that's out there. So that's now and have I been pwned, notification sent. This is a, <laughs> another data breach down, I guess. Okay, I'll go on in a moment. Um, Niall's going to catch me later. See you, mate. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs> Rawls talking about uh, look up lithopane for printing 3D photos. So lithopanes, lithopanes are very, very thin prints that you can then put a light behind and then they sort of shine the photo through. Uh, they also look kind of cool. I, I think what I'm constantly doing here, and, and everyone will see this when I share more photos of the house later on, that, like it's looking beautiful, not because of me, but because of Charlotte. It's not just beautiful because Charlotte's in the house. Like she has a very, very good eye for design, and there's a very kind of, I guess, Nordic um, design style with a lot of like dark colors but soft lights, and it's it it looks beautiful. And I'm just conscious that things like 3D prints can also turn really tacky really quickly. So I've been trying to find like what stuff that that if we're going to put stuff up and like decorate a room that is consistent with that theme. And I just find going back to Burton's question about printed photos can be on the tacky side of it. And I think the lithopane stuff could be, but I, I think it could possibly also be done really nicely. And I've just got to find something that aesthetically resonates with us. 
Sure, Beard says, stage one is Act Mobile, data breach denial. I wrote a blog post years ago about the uh, data breach denial. So this was like the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief where, you know, you sort of begin by being angry and eventually you get through to acceptance. And I've said, look, every organization tends to go through this. Some of them just go really, really quickly through to acceptance. Uh, others just drag it out for weeks, months, however long. So for Act Mobile, assuming it's legitimate, They'll eventually get through to the point where they've got to just accept it and maybe I'll change the flagging. Robinhood data breach. Jeez, I've gone on more than an hour already. I'm going to be pretty quick on this one because it's it's only something I've got experience from in terms of reading the press, but it, it's just come up over and over and over again. Uh, so Robinhood is a financial services. What do they actually do? Robinhood data breach. So I was just reading their disclosure message here. Uh, USA Today. After 7 million impacted in Robinhood data breach, experts offer some tips for amateur investors. <laughs> so what do Robinhood do? Something financial. They've got some graphs, stock tickers, <laughs> this sort of thing. But anyway, 7 million is a large number. Uh, and it sounds like this might have been ransomed as well, which does seem to be... Uh, Thank you, USA Today. I can't actually read that. You're just going to give me a preview. A little news link here. Hackers accuse Robinhood of concealing theft of ID cards. Just the headlines are interesting. CNET says Robinhood data breach is bad, but we've seen much worse. I don't know. That's a great measure. Um, AFR, which is our Australian Financial Review, says Robinhood security breach shows data on millions of users. Jeez. So I have not seen this data yet. But it's the sort of thing where I will probably see this sort of data. An unauthorized, this is now the AFR one here. Uh, an unauthorized party obtained email address of about 5 million people as well as full names for a different group of approximately 2 million people, Robin Hood said in a statement. Menlo Park, California-based brokerage, there we go, said it was said it believed no social security bank account or debit card numbers were exposed during the November 3 incident, nor that customers incurred financial losses. Interesting tangent here. Um, first of all, we see this time and time again on a data breach where it's like a whole bunch of personal information and it's not clear here whether passwords are impacted as well, but we very, very often see, it doesn't say anything there. If I look at their disclosure, do they talk about passwords? See, they don't mention passwords, which is kind of interesting because if they're impacted, you want to know that. If they're not impacted, you also want to know that because I'm much more worried about passwords being exposed than, say, uh, credit card details. Credit cards are easy to change, and it's easy to get money back that has been fraudulently taken. Certainly a lot easier than compared to getting accounts back once people use the same password that you used everywhere to take over your email address. So that um, that's bad, uh, but what's interesting is this constant sort of, uh, <laughs> it's almost PR spin, it's like, a whole bunch of really personal sensitive things were taken and we'll, we'll talk about that bit really quickly. Let us focus on all the things that weren't taken instead. It's like, you know, hey, this isn't so bad. They didn't get your social security number or your bank account details. <laughs> yeah, but they also didn't get like my dog's name. So why are you focusing on all of these things that they didn't get? But you, anyway, risk mitigation. Uh, now, the tangential thing, I'm not going to name the company or the law firm. But there was an incident recently, which in the scheme of things was very, very minor. Uh, and then I was contacted by a law firm wanting to mount a class action against this company. And in fact, when I explain this, I might sort of give it away. But 
this was basically boiled down to uh, a corpus of email addresses composed by what I believe is an enumeration vector on the targeted site, and then a law firm wanting to try and mount a class action against this company. And I'm sort of saying to this this lawyer that's contacted me, it's like, what about all the other sites that have enumeration vectors? Like, are you going to go to town on Facebook now? Are you going to get it? Well, okay, lots of lawyers do go to town on Facebook, but not, not so much for that. Are you going to go to town on like uh, eBay or Amazon or any of these other services that have enumeration vectors? And, you know, what is the actual damages uh, to individuals? Now, I've written before about disliking ambulance chasing lawyers that are obviously just looking for a way to make money uh, and this this was one of them but it's really interesting to sort of actually be contacted by lawyers trying to go down this path and as soon as you start asking very rational simple technical questions the wheels fall off but that doesn't stop them mounting class actions and often getting settlements as well because settlements just make the thing go away that just pisses me off anyway comments lots of allegedly <laughs> <laughs> Barry says my girlfriend asked if Shelley was your wife Troy nope nope no not at all Burton says are you redecorating the whole house no um, and again like I'll, I'll share more of this later on it it has largely been driven by damage that needed to be repaired and then it's like while you're there should you do this or that or whatever. The stuff in my office is independent of all that. There was no damage in the office. The office stuff is mostly about this is where, you put it simply, this is where I make my money. This is where I work. This is where my livelihood comes from. So making this the best possible environment it can be. I'm going to talk more about that when I can start sharing all pictures as we get stuff finalized. Angling direct data breach. Now this, well, this was bad on multiple levels. So Angling Direct is an English fishing website. Or an English fishing store, it is a physical store. And uh, they got very breached. And what I mean by very breached is that two main things that appear to have happened to them. So number one is that their Twitter account was taken over and there was a tweet put there by the attackers uh, basically explaining that they had taken over the account and also their website was taken over and redirected to Pornhub. So everyone who went to go and buy their angling gear ended up being redirected to, I can't be serious about the whole thing. I had many comments in response to my thread where people were talking about re being redirected to uh, a different kind of tackle shop. Not my words, someone else's. And many other euphemisms that I won't repeat here. Now, this would be, as they say, a suboptimal experience for many people. In fact, originally they didn't do a really good job of it. They like pointed C names at Pornhub and then you were getting like the Angling Direct uh, uh, domain, but of course you were getting the certificate for Pornhub and it didn't reconcile and you get errors. So eventually they started 302ing the traffic. Or did they 301 it? I can't remember. Redirecting it. And, and they did the redirect to the adult website right. <laughs> Sounds bad saying that, but you know what I mean. So that was a bad look, but what was interesting is like hours and hours and hours were ticking by and nothing was happening. Like it, it was still, the account was still taken over. They, they do appear to have control of everything again now. The original owners have control of everything. But an interesting parallel to this is someone sent me a DM and said, hey, have a look at this Cloudflare uh, post. And over on the, the Cloudflare community site, where you can ask questions about Cloudflare, someone posted that was clearly the person responsible for the Angling Direct website. Now, 
I went to load this up so I could talk through what had happened and what they'd said in this video, but the title of this post has been changed to please delete this Cloudflare post and the description has now been this post was flagged with the community and is temporarily hidden because obviously it included enough detail to make reasonable conclusions about this post being related to the Angling Direct one. As best I can tell, it looks like they got their Cloudflare account owned, which gave them access to the domain, which then gave them access to MX records, which then gave them access to the Twitter account, which was probably resettable via email. Which of course raises all sorts of questions about did they have 2FA on any of their things? And also, did they even have a decent password? Because I mean, very often there's the way, isn't it? It's like a reused password. I would love to see a post-mortem on this. If you're out there angling direct and you're back to the normal tackle, I'd love to hear how this happened. But uh, it, it's kind of it is also kind of cringeworthy, like to, to see this whole thing unfolding and someone writing this post just obviously doing their best to try and get access to their account again with all their customers re being redirected to porn now if you have never your phrases carefully if you have never gone to angling direct during the period in which they were redirected before um, you might not know this but when you get redirected accidentally to Pornhub it is immediately very, very, very graphic. Uh, there, there is no interstitial page to check your age. <laughs> like, let's just put it that way. So it was very, very, very overt and it would have been enormously embarrassing uh, for the company. All right. So what else is in here in the comments? Um, Paul says, Angling Direct is a perfect site for phishing attacks. Oh, God. I guess it's better than the tackle comment. Anyway, fishy business. Uh, Pimdu says the panic attack on the Cloudflare forum was mildly amusing. Yeah, it's it, and it was like a panic attack, wasn't it? It was like someone just completely losing their shit. Um, I actually went to see if it was in archive.org before and it wasn't, but yeah, 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 anyway. All right, last thing, and I've, I've been going for longer than, than probably ever at the moment because we're at about an hour and a quarter. Um, big bounties now, this absolutely freaking drives me nuts and i've had something in draft for a very long time about big bounties now i'm not mispronouncing the name this is beg as in begging as in you're a beggar as in someone begging for a bounty this is not bug as in there is an actual bug and something useful worth reporting worth getting paid for now here's the difference bug bounties everyone's familiar with uh, an organization stands up a program they might use the likes of BugCrowd or HackerOne, and they say, if you find vulnerabilities in our things, then we will pay you some money for it. And they're very formal programs, certainly when they're done well, they're very formal programs, and they will outline the various sorts of bugs, what's in scope, what's out of scope, what resources are in scope or out of scope. Uh, very often they'll outline what they might pay for a bug. Depending on the product and depending on the nature of the bug, it can be a substantial amount of money. Sometimes companies just give away a t-shirt or some stickers or something like that, but they are formal programs that are written up with very, very clear guidelines. They are bug bounties. They're fantastic. I wish that every single organization did it, not because I want to make money out of them, but because I love the idea of an organization actually thinking this through, that they might have security problems and that there should be a way to report them. They're bug bounties. Big bounties are when someone emails someone like me 
who runs a blog and a free community service, which has ever been pwned. I have a security.txt file. I have an email address for if you find a security thing. I link to my Keybase account so that you can encrypt your communication if you want to. Beg bounties are when someone reaches out to someone like me and says, I have found a bug. Can I please have money? Now, whether that bug is full-on nasty SQL injection or whether, as is usually the case with a beg bounty, it is like a, an SPF record that is too permissive uh, or in one of the examples I've given here, a potential clickjacking attack, i.e. your site may be framed by another site because you don't have an XFO header. Uh, that is a beg bounty where someone says, I've found something usually benign. Can I please have money? They are begging for money. Now, the, the problem here and, and the thing that was the catalyst for me finally finishing this blog post, because this is one of these ones where I've been dropping stuff in for ages. I've got a lot of blog posts in draft where I've been dropping stuff in, in some cases for years, just waiting until I'm ready to publish. This was one of them. And the catalyst was someone who reached out to me the other day, and I'm going to read this through, and I'm sure many people here have read this already, but I want to Part of the reason I do this video is I can add more context, more emotion to this. So I, I tweeted, this was, uh, this was one week ago today. I tweeted with a screen grab of an email I just got. Now my tweet here says, I fucking hate beg bounties. And this is what's in the tweet, all right? This is what's in the, the message. Hello, I'm Hamad, white hat hacker. I've identified a vulnerability in your web application. Waiting for your positive response. Positive with a capital P. He's so positive about it. Best regards, Hamad. Perfect big bounty. So several things here. Second of all, this is obviously a very generic email. Uh, this email, I have since learned, has gone to many, many people. We don't know how many people. It's many. Secondly, it tells you nothing about the vulnerability. Now, it doesn't say, for example, we have found uh, misconfiguration in your DNS records or we have found you know, SPF, DMARC, clickjacking, whatever it may be. There's nothing about that. And if this person was genuine about wanting to help you solve your security thing, they would give you some information. Now, within this blog post, I've given examples of the messages that I've sent to organizations after someone has sent me their data. And I'll do things like provide a snippet of the data so that you can go and verify it or tell them what's happened. You can do that without disclosing anything too sensitive in case you're like reaching the, the customer support oompa loompa instead of the security person. Hamad didn't do that. But I was bored. <laughs> it was a Saturday night. Nothing was happening. I was like, oh. So I reply, oh, no, what is it? Regards to Hunt. And I took off all my like Microsoft regional director and have I been pwned signatures and everything because I'm figuring that this guy's just like shotgun sent so many of these out to different people that he really doesn't know who I am or what I do. Uh, so let's not remind him. He replies. I've got to open this tweet in another window so I can actually read the whole thing. I will share a POC with you shortly. And I'm thinking, oh, good, that's great. If he shares a POC, a proof of concept, then I can look at it and I can go, okay, well, I can then abuse him <laughs> for sending me something about SPF. But minutes later, like several minutes later, he comes back, he says, any compensation for reporting vulnerabilities? So this is the beg. So what he has tried to do here is shake me down for money. There is something wrong with your site. I'm not going to tell you. First of all, I'm not going to tell you which site because it could be multiple different sites. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but can you give me money? 
And I played along. I said, why would you want compensation? I thought you were just being helpful. Eddie comes back. My skills is not for free work. Not big on the grammar. Oh, I suspect English second language in his defense. My skills is not for free work. My skills is not for free. Uh, I'm not doing this for free. So he wants to make money out of it. Now, again, I have no published bounty. I have security contact information. I provide enough information that if people find something and they want to disclose it and they just want to be a good person, you can do that, which is great. This is what we, I would love everyone to have this because it would make my life so much easier when I'm disclosing breaches. So then I'm like, all right, screw this guy. <laughs> and I wrote back, I put my signature back in. I said, at the moment, you're asking for money without providing any detail whatsoever. I suspect this is a big bounty, not a typo, Google it. And you've run some automated tooling that's found a relatively benign risk, the likes of a too permissive SPF record or a suboptimal response header. You've pulled the initial email address from my security TXT and without doing any actual work, and now literally begging for a bounty. I'm presently writing up a piece about this behavior. You're certainly not the first, won't be the last. And I'm going to use you as an example. If I'm wrong, and there's a risk of genuine significance, now is your chance to come clean. If you want to be a responsible member of the InfoSec community, then start behaving like those of us that do donate our time for free. I, I did school him a little bit, is my view of it. And I, I felt that that was a combination of, first of all, reasonable enough, because the dude's literally trying to shake me down for money, uh, and threatening enough in terms of I'm going to write this up that like this is your opportunity to maybe think twice about what you're doing. Anyway, dude doubles down. So he's like, go ahead. People like you go away after getting reports. Now, reports has got an apostrophe before the, again, English second language. Reports I, like I say, <laughs> I have seen many Troys in the past like you. Come on, there's not many Troys. <laughs> maybe you've seen the movie Troy many times. I don't know. My time is not free, and my skills too. I have another report than SPF. It's DMARC, isn't it? But it's DMARC. But now I am done with you, dot, dot. Enjoy your weekend, nor reporting you any issue. Please forget I have pinged you. I didn't forget. <laughs> I wrote a whole fucking blog post about it. Now, what was interesting is when I put those tweets out, multiple other people shared their own experiences with Hamad. And I put them <laughs> in the blog post down here. This person with uh, letters from an alphabet I can't pronounce. Uh, I call him I call him Andre. Uh, he says one must simply love these white hackers. Same thing. Uh, and he's tweeted. In fact, this was not in response to me. This was just in parallel. Uh, Muhammad Hamad. Uh, same thing. Hello, I'm Hamad, white hat hacker. I have found a vulnerability in your application. Waiting for your positive capital P response. Hamad. Best regards, Hamad. Someone else here, Perilla. Um, same thing. Alhacker.net also received the same thing. This person over here with other letters I can't pronounce, same thing. Andy, he's written upside down. Uh, and it's the same thing over and over again. So Muhammad Hamad is obviously just like running this. I don't think scam is too strong a word. Running this scam. And I say scam because it is deceptive. And it is deceptive with the clear intention of trying to part people from their money. Uh, and, and like it's one thing for those of us in the infosec industry to receive this and to know that it's a big bounty and you can just ignore it. But imagine you, you're not 
Or imagine, imagine you're just a, a, a deep techie person who's maybe not specializing in the infosec stuff and you get this and you're like, holy shit, like what have I done wrong? Am I going to be like the next angling direct? And before you know it, people are going to be getting porn hubbed every time they come to look at my tackle. That sounded bad. But this is just a recalcitrant behavior. It's, and it's, it's so unnecessary on, on so many levels. Like I, I get the fact that there are bug bounties out there, but they are published if I wanted a bug bounty, I would publish a bug bounty. Or if I wanted to run a bug bounty program, I would publish it. It would be available. Uh, if he wants to go and do bug bounties, there's all sorts of companies that run them. And the only conclusion I can come to is he's frankly not smart enough to go and get bugs from companies that actually run bug bounty programs because other people find them before him. And what he's doing is he's picking all the low-hanging fruit. And it's pretty much like a like any other scam you get via email. I'm going to blast it out to enough people. And I only have to get a small number of people that actually fall for it to make it worth my while. Now, it pisses me off as a recipient of these just because it's recalcitrant behavior. But perhaps more importantly, it pisses me off as someone who has had to do so many disclosures in the past that this sort of behavior makes organizations really, really wary when someone like me, who has actually found something serious, normally it's all of your data, I then get standoffish responses because people have been scared by dickheads like this. And that's what really, really pisses me off. It makes it so much harder for those of us genuinely trying to do the right thing. And as I said in here, I've never, ever asked anyone for any money whatsoever at all from this. I just want people fixing vulnerabilities. And if he was genuine, that's what he would want as well. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna add some more sense. <laughs> it's my two cents to this in a moment. I just want to see the comments so that I don't lose what people have said on this already. Um, <clears throat> Stefan says, I was amazed at how many actually justified it with why shouldn't you pay someone offering a service analogy? Yeah, I was amazed by that too. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Thiefmaster, I got a nice email at work last night. They posted about big bounties. Guess what it was? Yeah, I, I think I can guess. Thiefmaster, as an independent security researcher, I found vulnerabilities in your website and I'd like to disclose them to you. Kindly reply back to this email so that I may disclose them. You can disclose them already, and particularly if it's if someone's found your security.txt file, and particularly if you have a, a, a public key in there as well, they can encrypt that in the first place and send it back to the person who put the security TXT up there, knowing with a high degree of confidence that it's going to the right person and no one else can read the contents of it. Like you can do this in the first email. And I spend so much time carefully crafting disclosure messages to try and give people enough information to verify that I'm legit. Like, like these days, I put a link to my Wikipedia page very often. Like, look, I'm legitimate. Now, of course, I've still got to trust that it is actually me sending the link to the page. But as a lot of effort goes into trying to avoid the scamminess that blokes like Hamad here <laughs> are communicating with. Uh, <coughs> Christian said, Vera, I found a, a bug in HLBP. I want payment of a beer if ever I met you. So when I've had people report things to me, I haven't had any security bug of any note reported, but sometimes people have found other other bugs or other things of interest. I'll very often go, hey, can I send you some stickers? You know, I really appreciate this. Kind of, and, and people love stickers. <laughs> stickers and a custom 3D printed logo. And it's fine. Um, but... If you lead with, can you pay me something for something I'm going to tell you, and I won't tell you unless you're going to pay me, it's like, no, screw you, get stuffed. Burton, I wonder if this person is automated the whole process, checklist of domains, find bugs, search security text, and then email, uh, automated bug bounty email. I, I did wonder that. There is definitely a degree of crawling here. 
And if you think about it, right, and I, I didn't put this in the blog post, but just between you and I, if it was me, I would go to Scott Helms Crawler.ninja, I would go to his list of sites that have a security.txt, thousands of sites, I would crawl everyone on security.txt's. I would pull the email address out and then I would crawl every one of the websites that has a security.txt and I'd look for things that you can easily find by crawling. And then I would literally just mail merge. I'd just go through and I'd grab the email address and I'd just fire this off and I'd go out and play while all of this happened in the background with me doing no actual work around finding vulnerabilities but just doing some coding work. And then if you get a 1% hit rate, it's a good day, right? Stefan says, it's like a rando knocking on your door and telling you there's something wrong with your car, but he won't tell you unless you pay him something. Can't find another word for it than a scam. Exactly. Well, sure, I just wonder what happens if the owner of the cake shop receives that kind of email. They likely know better and probably also uh, won't know how to resolve it. What happens then? And, and that they likely won't know better. And this is my, my point. It's like the the normies amongst us who receive communication like that, and mind you, the normies probably don't have a security.txt, but of course there are other ways of finding email addresses. They won't know how to respond. And it's, it's a little bit like the all the SEO ones you get. You know, hey, I've, I've noticed that your website is suboptimal. Um, I mean, I get phone calls about stuff like this. Scammy phone calls where people have pulled data from who is records and so on. I've gotten to the point now, every time I get a scam phone call or a marketing phone call, the new rule is, whichever child is closest to me, when the call comes in, they get the call and they have to see how long they can keep the person online. And this is hilarious. <laughs> I'm in Ari's room the other day and we're doing some 3D printing or something. One of these calls comes in uh, and I'm like, hang on a moment, I just need to put you onto, onto my husband because <laughs> I really want to mess with them. And I give them to Ari um, and he's trying to be serious to see how long he can keep them online. And Elle's in the room as well, and she's just pissing herself laughing at how funny it is watching Ari pretend to be my husband and try to take the phone call about investment in some financial market or something. Uh, do waste their time because there's much hilarity for you and it makes their job much less effective. Getting back to beg bounties. One of the comments that came through, and I really want to address this because I just find it a stupid argument, <laughs> to be quite honest, is I saw people saying, in fact, I saw a, a Hacker News comment uh, note to self, stop reading Hacker News comments. Someone said, this isn't fair because Troy's punching down. What's the definition? Like, I, know, I, know the, I know what they mean, punching down. Punching down to assert your authority over people who are less powerful than you. Telling truth to power means challenging people who are actually powerful rather than punching down. Oh, okay, Assert your authority over people who are less powerful than you. Now, because of that, that's punching down. Now, this is bullshit for multiple reasons. Um, first of all, the, the, it, it sort of implies that uh, so long as you are trying to scam someone who, to use their terminology, is more powerful than you, then it's okay. So, no, no, that's not okay. It's not okay for Hamad to try and shake down, whether it be me or an organization with money, and then for someone to turn around and go, oh, no, nah, it's, it's, it's okay, because if you push back on him, that's, that's punching down. Now, maybe they meant it's not okay for me to be publicly derogatory towards this person. Now, frankly, I think this is a case where it's needed. And, of course, we've seen many other people do exactly the same thing now. This is a guy who, again, is, this is doing enormous damage to the ability for people like me to legitimately report really serious things. I'm sitting on so many freaking data breaches here 
because it is so hard to report them. Data that's probably got me in it, probably got you in it, and I can't process it because I literally do not have the time to go through the burdensome disclosure process, in part because people like this are making it so hard because they're just lodging so many fraudulent security claims. Uh, so no, I've just got absolutely no patience for that. And I just think there's a there's a point at which you pass that threshold of reasonableness. Uh, Hamad is certainly well past it. Hamad or Muhammad, is not, or maybe they're an interchangeable version of the same name. Muhammad, Hamad, Hamad. Yeah, don't be like Hamad. Comments. Uh, Thiefmaster says, second email was, do you pay for such services? <coughs> I am tempted to toy more with these people. I, I just kind of feel that in in cases like this and in cases where people are trying to do things like, hey, you know, um, it, it's obviously just spam. Uh, how much do you charge to put a, a blog post on your blog or so, so on? I feel like it is perfectly reasonable and justifiable to string them along, <laughs> either for purely amusement value or to actually see where the whole thing's going to go. So... Um, that's my suggestion. Yeah, string them along. Why not? Stuart says, what's the record length you've got to? Uh, I'm not sure if you're talking about the video length. I think this is it because we're at an hour 32 minutes now. And uh, I do actually. It's only 8 a.m. <laughs> I was going to say, I do want to go out for a walk in the sunshine and get some breakfast. Um, I'm not sure if you meant string them along. Oh, no, I might be stringing along um, uh, the kids string along uh, scammers. My personal record is my most viewed YouTube video ever. Um, Troy Hunt scamming scammers. I have a YouTube video from nine years ago that is uh, 1.1 million views, an hour and 22 minutes. That's my personal record, an hour and 22 minutes. I didn't have a lot to do that day. Uh, The kids, yeah, that'll be a new one. Paul, the new Google Pixel phones can do automated call screening. Great feature. I love... What I don't understand is these are coming in usually from Aussie mobile numbers. Surely there is something that we can do at the telco level here. A little bit off topic. It's not Hamad, (laughs) big bounty related. Burton, is it always PayPal for payments? uh, So as far as the, the big bounty players go i have not gotten that far but i would actually like to go that far i'm just interested i think i'm going to give a little bit of thought to how i phrase my responses such that we do actually perhaps strike a deal and then we can see how i deal with it after i would actually pay not for the bounty but just to sort of see the process through to its natural completion i think that would be an interesting exercise Maybe I'll just go, look, I'm going to pay you in stickers. <laughs> Send you 500 Have I Been Pwned stickers. Pinders, I always get offered website design offers on the Who Is Info. My spam filter is getting better at recognizing that. Yeah, same thing. Um, I've been subscribed since that video went viral, so I think you're talking about my uh, scamming scammers video. Oh, man. February 21, 2012. Look at that. That's that's almost a decade old. Jeez, I've been doing this a long time now. Speaking of doing things a long time, this video has now gone super, super long, so I am going to end it there. That uh, did go on a bit, but I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed talking about it. Uh, Hopefully next time I come back and and do this, I'll have more of these nice little 3D printed models as well. And of course, I will share photos of all this. I'm really looking forward to being able to share more of what we've done with the house. I just 
need the tradies to actually turn up and finish the stuff that they're meant to do. Thanks for watching this uh, Saturday morning version, and I'll come to you next week. I'm going to do this Friday morning coming, so about six days from now. Thanks, folks. Have an awesome weekend. See ya.